Well, I could tell you she's a bad idea For the good it would do You got a Chevrolet as old Hour two, kick it off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Let's hit some things you might have missed from the weekend. Go ahead, Sam. Thank you, John. Uh, coming up first, we have a little bit more news in golf. The first signature event of the year the uh, Pebble at Pebble Beach, uh, it has been canceled. The final round, Wyndham Clark declared the winner after 54 holes. Uh, kind of a tough look, I think, optics-wise for the PGA Tour. Holes. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, thought PGA I, had to do 72. PGA basically uh, first first big event of the year. Obviously, you know, a no-cut event just like live. Uh, elevated purse just like live. 54 holes now just like live. Uh, that's a tough one. There was a, a really great leaderboard in that tournament, and it was going to be a, a hell of a Sunday finish. Obviously, weather kind of a, a tough one to be able to control there, but Tough start to the to the season, I think, for the PGA Tour. Giving up the the Sunday time slot, Live Golf kind of gets that whole Sunday. Uh, you know, they go into multiple playoff holes and in kind of some dramatic fashion over there. And then the PGA Tour has to cut a signature event eighteen holes short. Who was at the top? Who was the top five in the PGA event? Uh, Wyndham Clark, your U.S. Open winner, was declared the winner, and then Ludwig Auberg, who is kind of never the, heard of him. He's the next big uh, yeah, young guy tough. on the scene, kind of. Uh, but you had, I mean, it's obviously a, an elevated event, so it's a it's a big field. Obviously, you've got big guys like Jason Day, Justin Thomas, Scheffler, Liftor had Brooks and DJ and Rom and Sergio and Neiman as five of their top six. It's, it's pretty pretty heavy leaderboard too. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good fossil, right? I mean, Brooks, DJ, Rom. To be honest, John, I mean, I am a Neiman, avid golf fan, Sergio. and on a day that the PGA Tour wasn't on TV, I didn't even tune in for five seconds of live golf. Then you can't call yourself a big golf fan. You're a big PGA uh, fan. No, it's, no it's, it, it, I tend to agree. Uh, you know, part of it is, honestly, CW is out of sight, out of mind, man. Nobody goes there to watch golf. Nobody, except, well, a handful of live fans. Maybe you do, but it's. Uh, I wasn't watching either. <laughs> yeah. But I would have been watching the PGA either. I wasn't watching either. Yeah. I wouldn't call myself a big golf fan. I think the either. CW is their biggest problem, too, yeah. Bob. Yeah. I just, I think that's the, that is the problem, but. It does stink. Wyndham Clark was like on one of the all-time great runs, too, based on that third-round performance. Um, yeah, and I mean, and and Ludwig Auberg, you and I were texting about him last night. He started to catch fire late last season. Oh, yeah. He's he's very very talented, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Hey, but with the live, what you do get to hear is John Rahm dropping f bombs yeah, on on Mike on live TV. That's, absolutely, uh, that that was burning up social media. So, VFL Caleb Surratt had a nice little payday too. Did he really? Made like three hundred k yesterday. Yeah, he saw three fifty. I don't know. If, uh, I think you get some money added on with the team standings, oh, but okay. nobody really cares yeah. about the team. I think that's the worst part about live is the team golf, because nobody care. I don't think anybody cares about if. John Rahm is on the 18th hole with a chance to win, but then he's one shot ba- like behind in the team game. I don't think anybody's caring about the Firebirds winning or whatever he is. What I will say is that the only team part of Liv that I have ever really paid attention to is when Brooks basically bullied uh, Matt, Matt Wolf, Wolf. on yeah. his team. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. that that uh, was <laughs> that that made for something interesting though. Sure, 
get this loser off my team. Sure. <laughs> and Kepka, it, it appears Kepka and DeChambeau have kind of patched things up. And yeah, it has. During Liv, too, it I has. guess. So that's another good outcome. Of Bob, it. you can't make fun of me. You can't make fun of me for liking wrestling and then admit that you got worked for years as they were just doing that as a little bit to make themselves both popular and, and drive social media views. That was all. That was all wrestling, is what that was. They I, were completely fine. I believe DeChambeau would be doing that. Kepka's too much of a meathead for mm. that, in my opinion. He, <laughs> he, no, he was, he was pissed. There's no doubt about it. Um, but it did kind of end happily, which does seem a little contrived, I have to say. You got worked. <laughs> you Just got like worked. a wrestling mark. That's that's what happened. You got worked. <laughs> um, some fun video game news here. Jason Kelsey. Uh, is said he's secretly looking into reviving the Backyard Sports video game franchise. Okay. You backyard fit? Sports, is that like where the little kid and the big head? Yeah, yeah. Did you play that at uh, all? Not, not really. Uh, maybe once. Okay. Uh, I, I liked. The, I didn't like it. It wasn't realistic enough for me. No, yeah. Definitely not realistic at all. It's definitely caricature type stuff like the, the Now I did like Sanchez. NFL Blitz. I did like NFL Street. But I don't think I would have liked it if they were playing with kids. I wanted to play as like actual like professionals. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a little bit more, you know, animated and all that type of stuff. Um, the 2026 FIFA World Cup announced that their final is being held at MetLife Stadium. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like for a long time that this was going to be played at SoFi over there in LA. Obviously, the the playing surface has been a huge kind of point of controversy in the NFL over there at MetLife. Uh, they'll have to put in real grass for this for this final. Okay, uh, so they're, they're going to the do World that. Cup. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say it seems dangerous to have all the most expensive athletes in the world <laughs> and the most expensive like ACLs in the world to be running around on MetLife. Exactly. Okay, so they are going to actually put real grass in. Yes. Yes. Is that going to make the NFL players mad? Like so you can do it, huh? That's what I would think. So you can do real grass, but you want to save money with it when it comes to our knees. That's Interesting. Yeah. Atlanta getting to host a World Cup game as yeah. well. Mhm. Atlanta adds to their impressive resume. They they Kind of sports capital of the South, I guess, in a way, in terms of the events they get. Now, I think that's part of the reason the Titans wanted to spend so much money on their stadium was that they could kind of maybe Absolutely. cut off Atlanta and get some of those events. But pretty much every big event has been at you know been in Atlanta at some point. The Olympics. Have they had a Final Four yet? I believe so. Yeah. 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 Like in the new stadium or no? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um. 2013, I believe, is when they had it. But they have not been selected through at least 2030. Hmm. So maybe not in the new stadium then, I guess. Okay. Or when was the Falcons? I can't remember when that no, new like it, stadium it pretty was much, I want to say it was just open whenever Tennessee and Georgia Tech had played. Like It had maybe been open for a year. And that was 2017, so I don't think it had been open in 2013. 15 it opened maybe or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I might go to that World Cup game in Atlanta. I think that would be interesting. That'd be really expensive. Yeah, it definitely would. <laughs> That'd definitely be really would. expensive. We'll definitely see, you know, would. what the draw is, of course, but it seems really expensive. Yeah, and crowded and like something I wouldn't want to go to. Rounding out some uh, some NFL news here, uh, Cliff Kingsbury has taken the offensive coordinator job, not with the Raiders. He has since left the Raiders. Uh, you know, originally had planned to go be the Raiders' offensive coordinator. 
that is no longer. He is going to Washington to be the commander's offensive coordinator over there with Dan Quinn. This, to me, seems like uh, an absolute failure of two hires so far for the, for the commanders with Dan Quinn and Cliff Kingsbury. Well, one, I am struck, sometimes stunned, by how Cliff Kingsbury continues to just land into jobs. <laughs> gets fired at Texas Tech, gets an NFL head coaching job. Gets fired at the NFL level, ends up at USC as offensive coordinator, which at face value, one of the highest profile jobs you could have with Caleb Williams, a quarter, quarterback as far as a college job. Um, now he, he has two offers, basically, from the Raiders and now the Commanders. Um, uh, yeah. Did you also see Ben Johnson's comments about the interview process with I, Washington? I did not. He's he's pretty critical. Said that um, he didn't he didn't feel the interview went. He didn't like the way the interview went. Felt like he was uh, he wasn't feeling it. Dealing I'm paraphrasing again. Dealing with uh, too many basketball guys was what he said. Um, well, they are basketball guys, so that kind of checks out. They are. It's just uh, it's like he's he's swinging some stuff around there, man. That's uh, guess when you don't want the job, it's easy to do that. But uh, yeah. Commanders, we were once saying that was an attractive, one of the most attractive jobs out of the available ones, and they didn't take advantage of that. Now it looks like a potential mess that will continue on. To your point about Cliff Kingsbury, I think we just call that pretty privileged. Yeah. If he was <laughs> if he was ugly, he wouldn't have gotten that job. I've made this point before, but not to the morning audience, but Mike Leach was much more respected when it came to like what he did offensively <laughs> and like being an innovator and calling plays. He was never even considered for NFL head coaching jobs because he was ugly. The best he ever got to do was go to Mississippi State and Washington State. Mean- meanwhile, Cliff Kingsbury, who's not as good at doing the same thing as Mike Leach, has gotten to be what? Like, like you said, the head coach at Texas Tech fell. Head coach at Arizona fell. USC offensive coordinator fell. And now he's, you know, in line to be another NFL offensive coordinator because he's pretty, because he's handsome and looks somewhat like a reject Ryan Gosling. I was going to say, uh, Mike Lee, trust in peace, didn't didn't wear skinny fit pants and things like that. That's, uh, you know, Kingsbury's got the he's got he's got a whole vibe going on that goes beyond coaching. And I agree with you, John, that's um, that's benefited him. Now, I will kind of say that I don't have a strong opinion, but I did see a lot of people in NFL circles and a lot of people that like are rooting for Washington that were pretty happy that they were able to get Cliff Kingsbury. Well, it makes you wonder what they may try to do at the draft now is, you know, are they going to oh, try yeah. to make a play to move up and get Caleb Williams or that that's one of the that's one of the byproducts of this potentially. Where are they at number 3? Two. Two, they're two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they would be fine with May or, you know, maybe he looks and says he has experience and, he, you know, if Kyler Murray and looks and says, hey, like Jaden Daniels is like a tall Kyler Murray and, like, I can maybe make him work too, so maybe that would have a a uh, effect there. I always think of Kyler Murray when he's uh, out there running around. It's like, It kind of reminds me of, like, those – Maybe not the backyard video games, but he's like he just looks like a little like weeble or something, yes. you know? Yeah, there's a very popular tweet that I can't get out of my head. It's like Kyler Murray runs like a badass five year old. Like it's just a mean ass little five year old running away from his parents. Like 
That's what I think of when I see Kyler Murray with his big helmet and his yeah. little body running around. I love the videos of like the Looney Tunes like music kind of in the background. <laughs> I don't think I've seen those, but that's good. That's good. But you know, I guess the another piece of the Washington offensive coordinator situation, which maybe Vegas maybe starts looking here too, is that you know they have been linked to Chip Kelly, and Chip Kelly apparently really wanted that job. He wants to get out of coaching in college. He also knows he's you know, about to get fired at UCLA. He probably doesn't want to have to go through this charade of pretending like he's recruiting for another year. So he was apparently really wanting the to get back to the NFL and as an offensive coordinator, you know, to kind of re you know, wash away his sins and to kind of recreate himself. We'll see if maybe Las Vegas looks at him now since they no longer have an offensive coordinator. Kind of wild for them though. You don't really have that happen too often in sports where the deal gets reported as done and it falls through. I guess Vegas benefited. Eh, no, no. But they they end up hiring Josh McDaniels after he did a similar thing to the Colts. <laughs> yes. I won't say that Vegas benefited from that because they got stuck with Josh McDaniels, but now they kind of had it happen to them with uh, Cliff Kingsbury. The Chargers – Hired Greg Roman too, or they're expected yeah. to hire Greg Roman. It again goes back to what I've said. It's like these guys just keep kind of floating around, man. Um, I don't know how many jobs that is for Roman as a OC, but I feel like most of them have been with his boy Harbaugh, though. Harbaugh likes Greg Roman, and yeah, probably thinks, hey, we did a good job together in the early 2010s in San Francisco. Let's do it again here. But yeah, that's not necessarily a hot name in offensive circles anymore. All right, Sam, send us to break. We got Shumper coming up next or at 8.30? Um, I think we were talking 8.30 with him. Okay, okay. So we'll get him at 8.30. We'll talk some college hoops coming up after the break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Good morning. It's building out here right on schedule. Pendleton Parkway towards uh, Oak Ridge. Uh, here at Pendleton Parkway, as you come up past Dutchtown, 75 is on the increase again southbound out of Campbell County, Anderson County, all the way down to Merchants Road. A little bit crowded at certain sections of Broadway through the Fountain City area. 24-7 reliable crane and rigging services right here in East Tennessee. It's Tomahawk Crane and Rigging. They're online. Check them out today at TomahawkCrane.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear? I'm a little disappointed in you, Sam, for not having any Grammy news in your about last night. I'm so out of pop culture, John. It's unbelievable. That's like when it's Grammy night. That is something that that really resonates with me like i'm so out of touch with anything in the world that's just not sports i think let bobby help you on that <laughs> yeah i watched some of the grammys big night for molly she first one ever right tennessee's own dolly parton's goddaughter i mean come on she got her first grammy ever right yeah yeah, yeah. good for her i gotta be honest i was a little embarrassed to admit this but you know the star of the night was tracy chapman and luke combs oh. and their performance of fast car i saw that Got to be honest, uh, maybe the first time I've ever really listened to Fast Car. Like, I've heard the song, you know, a hundred times. You know, it's a very popular song. I think everyone goes through the same progression of like, oh, that's a woman singing that song. Because, like, when you first hear the song a couple times, like, it could easily be a man. Then you're like, oh, wait, no, that's a woman. Okay. 
and then you hear the song more and more. But last night, like just the watching the live performance, the duet, it's the first time I've actually like listened to the lyrics. And then afterwards, I went and read the lyrics. I'm like, huh, this song seems so nice, but it's actually like really, really depressing. It's <laughs> yeah. the saddest song. There were a couple observations. It was a great performance. It's uh, I think I read that's only the third time she's performed live in like 30 years. Really? Yeah. And she, I thought she was great. Um, she seemed happy as well. Yeah. Like yeah. It's just you could see like that she was really happy to be there, and it was really cool that a that she was she's been so happy. I mean, she's apparently I was reading she has all of, like the royalties to that song. So like Luke Combs covering it and leading people to listen to hers is making her a lot of money. But just she's been gracious about you know giving the song up and letting yeah. him record it and and then yeah that, that was awesome that he was able to get her on the Grammys and that they were able to perform and yeah she was just kind of glowing it seemed like and as I texted you both uh, an old OG from the station Luke Combs looks a lot like Charlie Collier to me <laughs> um, just big chubby boys it's uh, <laughs> big chubby boys with with some weird, long hair <laughs> weird beards and then weird mouths like that's that's, that's the way it um, looks so yeah it checks out but uh, yeah and then. You know, Taylor Swift, how smart is she, announces drop of her 11th album that's going to, you know, be released this week. Super Bowl week, shocker. Just No, uh, no, no, not, not, it's not released till April. Oh, it's not released till it's April? No, it's not released till April. April. She's just announcing. April 21st. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. So she's... now the over-under is tax day on the breakup. We now have an expiration date on the breakup. Yeah. And also, like, uh, before we get back to basketball... Early winners and losers of the weekend. Loser is whoever was on Casey Musgraves' team, her PR team, that's like, hey, let's announce our album, our new album tonight, because it was immediately trumped by Taylor Swift. And yeah. No one was really caring about Casey Musgraves' new album, and everyone cared about Taylor Swift's. I would add to your loser list, uh, Jay-Z. Did you see his uh, sound from last night? Okay, so you had him as a loser. I, I didn't see many people calling him a loser as much as like, hey, he's just trying to support his wife. So, But, I, th but then he said a lot of y'all that are nominees shouldn't be on there. Uh, it's like, come so on, So he, he went with the Kanye method yeah, of... Yeah. No, I don't mind him defending his wife. Yeah. I get that. But yeah, he went a little, little too far. That was my point. Okay. No, I didn't see that. The only thing I saw was the... The little clip of him basically saying that Beyonce having the most Grammys of all time, but right. never a album of the year wasn't right. I didn't hear him say that other yeah. people didn't deserve to be on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that would make him a loser of the night. <laughs> yes. Um, Some losers in the SEC this weekend. I, nothing really noteworthy, though, right? Like, it kind of seemed like everyone held surf. Yeah. That was kind of the moral of the story. Like, Kentucky is the biggest loser of the weekend, losing a home game because now they go from trying to compete for an SEC title maybe two weeks ago to losers of three or four, and now they're looking at, like, wow, we're going to have to play on Thursday night? We're not going to get a double bye? Yeah. Now I would agree. I think that, uh, you know, Alabama, they're they're just mm -hmm. taking care of business now. They're, they're locked in, and they're going to be a problem for the rest of the conference season for sure. Really need to flip and root for Auburn this weekend. You know, they had played, what, two weeks ago, Bob, and we were all rooting for Alabama, for Alabama to beat yeah. Auburn. And now we need to switch, and we need to root hard for Auburn on Wednesday. That was a, a nice little quirk there as, as the roles have reversed. We're no longer chasing Auburn. We're chasing that Alabama team. Yeah, and if you want to talk about – you don't want to buy tomorrow's trouble, but there's a lot of Kentucky fans. Of course, when Kentucky fans are saying they want Cal out, they always – start placing a name that is super lofty as a replacement, and it's Nate Oates now is the name. And uh, Nate Oates in Lexington would be 
that'd be trouble, I think. I think he's a little too fiery for the job. I hope so. And I did see, like, uh, I think I had a second shout-out, but the guy who covers Kentucky for the Athletic, Kyle Tucker, he said there was no chance in hell that the AD would hire Nate Oates or Bruce Pearl. Really? He said the name that would be, like, the slam dunk that would be the most realistic is Scott Drew from Baylor. Oh, that'd be a good one. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that that, that would be him getting an upgrade, and he's a national championship winning coach, and he would come to Kentucky. Said there was no chance in hell they'd hire either Nate Oates or Bruce Pearl, is what he said. Well, that's why you don't let the fan base hire. Well, I mean, I, I think it's just maybe a clash of personalities or whatever, but also like Alabama, who is now, you know, one of the elite SEC programs with football money, you'd imagine they're not going to get outbid either. Yeah. But, yeah, you, you mentioned Auburn. They had a shaky first half, but they rallied. They ended up winning big at Ole Miss. They were down 13 or so early, right? Yeah. Yeah. South Carolina, hey, they really are good, y'all. I mean, they uh, it's it's their brand of basketball, for better or worse, it's working. Um, their game with Georgia was close for a little bit, but they, you know, and they had different guys leading them this time too. It was uh, that freshman Colin Murray Boyles, and they're they're a good team. I mean, they're now starting to talk about Paris as a lock for SEC Coach of the Year, and maybe start to get thrown into the National Coach of the Year conversation. Um, I mean, I think that's completely fair. I mean, I think, yeah. I think if he just even finishes in the top half of the SEC, then he is, yeah, very worthy of winning SEC Coach of the Year. And you know, to win National Coach of the Year, he'd probably have to win six or seven more games, get to that twenty-five win threshold. But like, they were picked to finish last, and they are not last. They are pretty good. Yes. And missed opportunity not taking them at plus money. They were underdogs at Georgia. Yeah, and Mike White went full Mike White. Speaking of Mike White, I thought Florida really gagged away that game against Texas A&M too. And Florida had a chance to have a really good week with a road win at Kentucky, followed by a road win at A&M, and you know maybe get themselves in consideration for the tournament, and or at least you know get firmly in the tournament and start worrying about seeding. Instead, they blow that game, and not a bad loss because you know a road loss to Texas A&M doesn't hurt your resume, but the Lost, what are we saying? This lost opportunity, to I guess. Win, yeah, yeah. The lost opportunity is uh, was a big. It's costly for sure, and for A and M, you know, I, they, obviously a big matchup with Tennessee this coming weekend. And um, I put in our notes make or break, and I say make or break from the standpoint of they're they're in the tournament if it was picked today, but they're kind of on near the bubble, so they they need to A and M needs to keep winning. Looking uh, at the net ranking right now on NCAA.com, they are fiftieth. And yeah. that's when you're getting in the dicey situation. Anything from like 45 to 55 is kind of a toss-up, and you're just kind of splitting hairs and depends on you know your last 10 and who you beat and whatnot. But they're getting propped up. They have four quad one wins, but a couple they got four bad losses. So they're going to be right on the bubble. Make or break, maybe a little extreme for the Tennessee game, but it's a win that you know goes a long way to making you. Yeah, I agree. And then I'd say we talked to it was kind of – as expected over the course of the weekend for the SEC. But LSU, again, some of it is recency bias for the past couple of years on Arkansas. I sure, I know they're struggling. I sure didn't expect them to lose to LSU by 21 points. Uh, they got smoked. And uh, so right now, Arkansas is officially in a free fall at this point. I mean, it's, uh, it doesn't look good there. That entire program has packed it up. Yeah. Packed it up, mailed it in, however you need to phrase it. The team has quit, and also Musselman has quit. Like, Musselman's looking around. Like, I think it's a 
a pretty poorly kept secret. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he is going to try to get another job this offseason. Now, whether or not he does so much damage to himself that he takes himself out of the running, I don't know. You know, with the Elite Eights he's made, you would think he would still be able to go and get himself a job. But, yeah, they have quit. They have quit. Looking at Joe Lenardi's last, like, bracketology update after the end of Saturday's games, Tennessee, the number one two seed. As far as the SEC teams go, Mississippi State and Texas A&M seen as last four buys. Florida as a last four in play-in team. The SEC in general looking at nine bids in their conference. So. Where, do, where does he have Kentucky seated on the advanced, on the newest Um, one? They are not a top four seed. so uh, Yeah, they were fifth going into the weekend with him, so that I, I wonder if they even it, slipped a six. It says next they're uh, fifth. They're fifth. still in the five seed range. I don't know what number of five seed they are, but hanging on as a five seed right now. Yeah. Ryan Shumpert. RockyTopInsider.com. We will RTI read and react after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, let's hit the phone lines. Let's grab Ryan Shumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. Ryan, as always, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Happy Monday. It feels good to get to break down Tennessee dominating Kentucky on this Monday. What was your biggest takeaway from the game? I think it's probably just the way guys other than Dalton Connect stepped up. I mean, if you would have told me Tennessee won this game by scoring 103 points and Dalton Connect scored 16 points, I'm not sure I would have believed you. Uh, I picked Kentucky to win kind of for that very same reason. You know, Kentucky struggled to guard, but Tennessee's guys besides Dalton have been so inconsistent at hitting shots, especially on the road, that I just wasn't sure Tennessee was going to be able to fully capitalize on it and win. But that's exactly what happened. And obviously, really career games for both Zakai Ziegler, uh, who – Really just one bad game against South Carolina, but was was definitely starting to cool down after a hot start to SEC play. And then, obviously, I think everybody has to be really happy for uh, Josiah Jordan-James, who goes over uh, how many points he scored in the first seven SEC games and uh, his career high at Kentucky. Morning, Ryan. Uh, you talk about Zakai and um, read your, your piece on uh, RockyTopInsider.com. It sure did sync up his performance with what you wrote about the fact that uh, Coach Barnes and he had a bit of a heart-to-heart after the South Carolina game. Um, Want to expand on that a little bit? Because he looked like a different guy out there Saturday night. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, what Rick Barnes and Zakai talked about a little bit too is that Rick really came to him and said, you know, I need you to be tougher on these guys. And I think what Rick was kind of getting at is Tennessee's got a lot of players that are encouraging other dudes and you know that's a form of leadership for sure he said but i need more guys that will hold other people accountable and the clip that i immediately thought of and maybe this will be too niche is and it's kind of the reverse of it is troy aikman i think when uh barry switzer was the coach he's just yelling at the the quarterback's coach on the sideline about how nobody will hold the players accountable but him and that's kind of how it felt rick, rick barnes talking about it. he said i can't be the only guy here that's the bad guy someone needs to step up 
uh, and get on these guys. And Josiah Jordan James talked about how Zakai was having some choice words for guys that practice uh, when they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And certainly uh, he did that and then, you know, returned it tenfold with how he played. And uh, to have, on top of 26 points, on an incredibly efficient shooting performance, to have 13 assists and just two turnovers, to have three steals and do it all against Probably the guy and Reed Shepard that he's competing with to be the best point guard in the SEC was was really, really impressive. Uh, about as good as a point guard performance as I could remember watching at a game I was at. Yeah, I called it Chris Paul-esque. Like, he, looked yeah. like, he looked like prime Chris Paul, the way he controlled the game and the assist numbers and points and turnovers. That was about as good of a Chris Paul impression as you could do in college. Chris Paul, six foot, always a little undersized in the NBA, kind of like Zakai in college as well. Ryan, you covered the team closely. You're at practice. What went through your mind when you saw Cameron Carr come up with a loose ball and throw a perfect alley-oop? Well, it was interesting. Rick, you know, my coworker at RTI, was actually on top of it where Justin Ganey went up uh, to Rick Barnes and said something to him, and then Barnes kind of nodded, and he went and got Cam Carr, and I was like, oh, man, this is, uh, this is an interesting move in this moment. I mean, of all the freshmen, he's probably played the least uh, of any of the four, at least in SEC play, and no, I mean, from our angle, you saw it. Josiah immediately, once Cam Carr came up with that ball, pointed up and wanted the lob. And for him to deliver it right on the money, I thought was impressive. For him to have the kind of the calm and, and collectedness in, in that moment was impressive. And obviously the three-pointer he took from the corner didn't go quite as well uh, a minute or two later. But still, you saw that you know from Carr, he's not a guy that is ever going to get in there and play 10 minutes in an SEC game, let alone one that big. But for him to, to come up and and play pretty well in a couple minutes in the first half, I thought was a good sign. And, you know, Tennessee likes that freshman class a lot. And they're not having to ask a ton for them, but uh, just an, another example of one of those guys being able to step up and uh, give Tennessee some, some pretty solid minutes in the first half of a big game. Watching on TV, the team looked pretty fired up and motivated with the scrum, or after the scrum of Tobey Awaka. And basically as he was taking on the entire Kentucky team, what did it look like from inside the arena? Uh, just that I, the thing I think I tweeted it out, but I don't think I've ever seen a Tennessee player walk to the sideline or walk back to the bench and get more high fives than Tobey walked in. <laughs> Felt like every player, every coach, Rick Barnes. I mean, it was a a very very excited from everybody on Tennessee's side that they saw that that side of a walk and he had that intensity and he he went right at Kentucky and, and Josiah even talked about it after the game and we've heard a couple different guys say it. You know, obviously probably 95% of the games Tennessee plays this year, they, they do not miss Euros Plossus. <laughs> they're much better off without them. But that kind of goon, kind of enforcer uh, that Euros was, Tennessee I think has missed in a couple of games. And they want to have a big guy like that who kind of sets the tone. And Josiah said it, you know, Iwaka is the perfect guy for that, especially if he's already going to be fouling at the rate that he's been fouling at in SEC play. You might as well have him be that enforcer and that physical guy. And for him to, to do that exactly, uh, I think it really sparked a fire under the rest of the Tennessee team and certainly himself. I mean, you talk about it, Tennessee didn't respond with some massive run, but after that stretch, a walker grabs a couple more rebounds, I think three rebounds in the next three minutes and has two baskets, including a dunk on a pick and roll where – yeah, I was not expecting to see a walk and well, dunk that. I mean, he, that, he's not a guy that shows that explosiveness a ton. That's where I got to push back a little bit on the Uros thing because if he if he was still there gooning it up, who only knows what would have happened? He would definitely not have jammed on anybody. He, he would have uh, maybe missed a couple rebounds and missed a couple of bunnies. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, s- oh, go ahead, Ryan. You're good. 
uh, that, that's probably a good point, but uh, just from yeah, that's where a walk it can be a better version uh, right. of what Urosh gave uh, Tennessee in that way, and and kind of being that physical guy and that enforcer. But uh, you're right; I don't think Urosh was going to show a ton of athleticism getting offensive rebounds, and he certainly wasn't going to dunk like that on a pick and roll. Yeah, that's right. What I was going to say, Ryan, was that um, I I've, I view Tobe as a more refined version of what we used to get from Urosh, and that. We saw that Saturday night, and we, we talked about this earlier in the show, a couple of plays. There was one where Zakai kind of brought the ball down the middle. Tobey was in there and literally just cleared out the lane for him. It looked like Zakai was just doing a layup drill, basically, in the in the middle of Rupp Arena. And um, there's, there's something with T- Tobey's game. We talked – you and I talked about this on the show last week when – we were saying that I think to you were saying that he may be the the one that's in the biggest funk, and this was before the South Carolina game, and we were worried about his minutes. And he 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 only had ten minutes on Saturday night, but take the first couple of minutes out when he got those two quick fouls, as he tends to do. The remaining minutes he played, he had such an influence on the game, and it's kind of exactly what we were talking about last week that when he can contribute that way. Just like what we saw with Josiah and Santi and even Zakai, that's a totally different kind of team we saw Saturday night. It 100% is. And obviously, Jonas A. Dew's probably taking the biggest leap of anyone on this Tennessee team. But, you know, Tennessee's still looking for more consistency out of the rest of their big men, whether that's a Walker or J.P. Estrella. And it was kind of a hilarious 10 minutes for Walker because he picks up two quick fouls in the first half. Obviously, he gets a dead ball foul. Uh, with the scrum, and then he picks up his fourth foul, just one of those maddening Milwaukee fouls on a rebound that he wasn't going to get. But certainly the minutes that he gave him uh, was absolutely huge, and his offensive rebounding, I mean, that was, I think, kind of a, a underrated story in the game for Tennessee. Tennessee misses 38 shots. They get 18 offensive rebounds. It, the final stats don't really indicate that they dominated the glass because Kentucky got an, a, a number of offensive rebounds too, uh, but it felt like any time Kentucky was trying to make a run and string some stops together, Tennessee was able to get – get some offensive boards and some second-chance points, which, you know, I guess after Kentucky got it to one, I guess, the first possession, or I guess maybe the first minute of the second half, uh, it never got lowered in seven after that. Do you attribute that to Tennessee's offense clicking on all cylinders, or how much do you give Kentucky's defense just being completely lifeless? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a combination of both, and – I don't know, maybe this is me being too negative from the Tennessee side. I almost go more to Kentucky's defense being lifeless. I mean, just I've been joking about it for a couple of weeks now when John Calipari keeps talking about, you know, guys don't have off-shooting nights against us. And it's like, well, you don't play any defense. And watching that game, man, all those Tennessee threes were pretty much uncontested. And Bob mentioned it there with Tobey having a couple seals on layups for the guy Ziegler going in. Jemai Meshack had one, too. I mean, Jemai Meshack sits four down there, and he's sealing off Kentucky big men's to get his guards wide-open layups. And just the number of straight-line drive layups that Zakai Ziegler had in this game and the number of wide-open threes that Tennessee took. And granted, I mean, I said it there at the lead, I wasn't sure Tennessee was going to be able to hit uh, all these uncontested threes. So, you know, it speaks to the fact that they still did it. But, man, Kentucky's pretty lapless uh, or pretty hapless on defense. And you got to be able to take advantage of it. But it, it, to me, it felt, when you're talking about scoring 103 points, it felt like that was just as much 
Kentucky's issues as much as it was Tennessee just playing well on that end. Yeah, watching Kentucky and their players and Coach Cal talk about players having the game of their life against them, I just can't help but think of Tim Robbins in the the hot dog suit, the meme from I Think You Should Leave, where he's like, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. It's like, yeah, yeah, Kentucky, you, you, the players have the game of their life against you because you don't play any defense. You somehow gave up 79 points to South Carolina. Georgia scored 96 against you. Florida yeah, dropped I mean, 94. Like, I mean, everyone's scoring against them. It feels like half the teams in the SEC have scored 90 on them. And, no, it's funny you bring up the the meme that we're all looking for the guy who did this because Grant Ramey, I think, tweeted it out after the game with Cal's face on that, talking about him in the post game, talking about we just got all these young guys and we're, we're learning and, and, you know, you're trying to get better. What's it? Well, you recruit a whole new roster every year, Cal. Why is it so shocking that you're still trying to learn these things in February? Oh, apologies to Grant. I wasn't trying to steal his joke. I'm sorry, Grant, if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I thought about, you know, there he, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, Cal, he, there was a pattern. He, he said this after South Carolina, said it after the Tennessee game. You know, they hit shots. We're missing players. DJ Wagner's out. I mean, DJ Wagner, I, I honestly believe – Obviously, they're a better team if he's on the court, but I'm not sure they win that game even if D.J. Wagner's in there. Oh, definitely not. And, I mean, a lot of the minutes that got filled was Rob Dillingham playing exactly. where, where Wagner was out. And if Rob Dillingham doesn't have one of the most efficient 35-point performances I've seen in college basketball, then Tennessee probably wins that game by 25 points. I mean, he was really the only thing that kept Kentucky within striking distance in that game was his ability to hit some, some really tough jump shots. It seemed like desperation coming from the stands, from the fans. Like they, It was like a overmatched team trying to will their team to just try hard. Like The way they cheered all game, even down double figures. What was the vibe like during TV timeouts? What was the vibe like after the game as they started kind of filing out of the stadium or arena? Well, you're right. And, you know, Tennessee gets up by a 10 in the first two, two three minutes of the game and it is exactly what it felt like, them trying to wheel Kentucky back in. And it was really for the first, I don't know, 35 minutes of the game, it was a great atmosphere of them just trying to do that. And it felt like there were so many former Kentucky uh, NBA players that were at the game and so many uh, Tim Couch, a number of Kentucky football players. And that's what it was during timeouts was showing all those guys. But uh, a lot of nervous energy. And, you know, I'll say the last, as you all noticed, the last two and a half minutes of that game felt like it took forever because Kentucky just kept on fouling for so long. And it felt like a fall Saturday inter-squad scrimmage before a big football game. I mean, the place was just half empty. And I'll give credit to Rob Lewis. If Alquist was sitting beside me and he said, Shump, take a picture of this. You're not going to see this much with a minute left and this place being completely empty. And it just had a, a very, very strange vibe. Uh, I think Matt Jones, uh, KSR, said, Someone that he knew that was at the game said it was one of the angriest crowds he'd ever seen as they were leaving. Um, obviously, a bad two weeks for Kentucky, and you know, two weeks before that Georgia game, it felt like everybody was crowning them as a Final Four favorite, mm-hmm. and things uh-huh. were really, uh-huh. my really two, my two people here, Ryan. Yeah. They were doing the same thing. Your 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 boy Bob was <laughs> in love with Big ZD. Said the Kentucky scary. My producer Sam said, and you know, Rees was just as good as Connect, and he's scared of Kentucky. And now look at him. <laughs> Two weeks later, now now look, you got Coach Cal dodging the the post game radio show and all those things. Well, I might be a little guilty too of hyping Kentucky up, well, but I mean it's, it's quite the fall from grace. And, and yeah, for see? I mean, I guess the the second thing I would add on the Calipari stuff you mentioned him 
talking the post-game radio show is that in games at Kentucky, and really this is how it works most places, but the away coach always speaks first at the podium. Well, Cal Perry jumped Barnes and came in and talked uh, to the media first and kind of skipped the order. So clearly, I don't know, flustered is the right word, uh, but he was a little bit out of sorts, and he was, he was trying to get out of Rupp Arena as fast as anybody after the game. Maybe you don't know, but the thing I saw online is that he had a sick dog he had to get home to. Was that just a joke, or was there anything to that? <laughs> I saw that tweet too. I I assumed that it was a joke, okay. but I don't know. Maybe he did have a sick sick dog. He had to get back to Ryan Shumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. I'm going to put you on the spot on the way out. The next six games before Tennessee gets to kind of that that last four game stretch: LSU at A and M, at Arkansas, home for Vandy, at Missouri, home for A and M. Tennessee's record is what in those six games? Oh, man, I'll go 5-1. and one. I think the goal has to be, and maybe even the expectation has to be 6-0 and oh, uh, when you're talking about trying to make up for the South Carolina loss and winning the SEC. But that's kind of been the story of Tennessee the last two years in SEC play is just losing a couple too many games against teams that maybe aren't just horrific losses, teams that are you know fringe tournament teams, especially on the road. And uh, when you talk about that A&M game and how bad Tennessee's been at Arkansas, I don't know. Maybe I'm giving Tennessee too little credit because a lot of those games probably look a lot easier than they did when SEC play started, but I'll say 5-1. and one. Ryan Schumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. I appreciate your time as always. We'll talk to you next Monday. Yeah, sounds great. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Ryan. Sam, send us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. A brand. segment is brought to you by Inward Half. Bob, remind me, I got a shirt I got to give you. Excellent. Shout out to Todd. He sent one your way. Thank you, Todd. Inward Half is elevated and transformed performance-driven apparel into fashion forward statement pieces for the entire family. Todd told me Sam is not getting a shirt until he bends the knee to live. Also, Sam said that him wearing the same size as me would look like a dress on him, so (laughs) Sam can go to hell. Check out Inward Half's Selection at inwardhalf.com. They are comfortable. They are fashion forward. You can also go to the volunteer club and buy the everything polo that Inward Half partnered on, and you support both the people who support us and the athletes you like watching. Go ahead, Bob. Hey, breaking news, Uh-oh. Sam. Well, wheel, 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 wheel. Well, John, you're not going to care, but Victor oh. Hovland is uh, he's dropping out of the waste management oh, no. tournament this week. He That's didn't play good. well. No, there's already chatter of is live. there a, is there a live move imminent? I do care about that actually. Hovland, when I actually I actually got into golf during COVID because it's like one of the only things going. Right. And like Morcal and Hovland were my two guys, the young guys, and Hovland's I, I, cool. I do actually like both of them, and I do like Hovland. Hovland would be a huge loss. Yes, that's he would. a young. I mean, I think <laughs> for as many this. like. Kind Sam, of. just talking to your boy Charlie for so long, every time a golfer leaves, oh, that would be a big loss. Then they leave. Then another one goes. Then another one goes. No one's going to be left on the PGA Tour before long. Well, I think that Liv is getting a lot of guys that have been established and are kind of a little bit on the back half. And, like, I mean, obviously, like, John Rahm is a massive get. That's a guy that's still in in his prime. But I don't Smith think they like have the a ton two. of guys that are in their prime. Was Cam Smith not like the number two player in the world whenever he You're, left? Yeah, there's like three – there's like five guys, John, that are like the well, top just, guys – 
there's 20 to 25 that are still on the PGA Tour. I'm just saying, Cameron Smith is like number one or number two in the world, and Rom's like number one or number two in the world. That's all I'm saying. I can name <laughs> a lot more bottom-level PGA players than I don't know any bottom-level live guys. Richard Bland, who like was the leader of the Open Championship for one day as a 60-year-old man, and then they gave him like $80 million. So do they think it's Hovland leaving, or is it – Injury or anything? Or I don't is know. There any other reason? Because I mean, no, waste just, management's a pretty big one, right? Waste like management's a, a big one, yeah. I mean, I know it's a fun one, but like in the term of prestige, like is that like a one that people want to win? I like, guess the, the purse probably isn't bigger than most, or it's probably not like it's not an elevated. It's not exactly. Event, right? a, I don't think it's an elevated one. I may be wrong on that. I'm not sure. Um, it's not exactly like the most prestigious one, but I think it's people that they enjoy playing. You know, go out to Arizona. Fun, yeah. the, the fans have a good time at it. I think it's one that. Most top players in the world would try to play at. So, yeah, I mean, obviously that's a – you'd hope it's only an injury and not something that, you know, him going to live. Before the breaking news, I wanted to kind of point out, we talked with Shumpert about, the you know, the next six games for Tennessee's basketball schedule. Do you agree 5-1 and one during that six-game stretch? I do. I, I worry about, you know, two games against Texas A&M. Good team. College Station worries me a little bit. Other than that, none of these other games worry me. Sam, I think five and stretch. one is fair. Yeah, yeah, but I think six and zero oh is is just as easily attainable. It is, and and I think it's kind of critical too, John, from the standpoint those last four games after the next six, right? The, those last four are going to be super tough. Arkansas, those... suck, sorry, Arkansas sucking in the middle of that is just great for us. I think. Yeah, them having a downturn of the season just makes that stretch a lot easier. I think. And keep in mind that game's on Valentine's Day, so a team that might be dealing with some <laughs> locker room. Uh, love stuff, you know, it's going to be a very awkward day <laughs> in, in Fayetteville, it being on Valentine's Day and everything. Or maybe they come out and play inspired, I don't know. But, like, of those next six games, like, A&M's the only one that seems acceptable to lose. Yeah. And, like, that would even be a little disappointing if you lose at A&M this weekend. Like, it's a quad one game because they're, like, in the top 75 in, in terms of where they rank. They're, I think, 50th, we'd said. So, like... It's a quad one win opportunity, and it's not a bad loss, but the rest of them, of those of those six, to me, would all be disappointing. Like, bad. Bad, bad losses. Yeah, we haven't talked about how quickly Missouri's fallen from grace from last season. It's pretty unbelievable. They're winless still in conference play. Yeah, they missed their opportunity against Vanderbilt on Saturday. But, yeah, from Missouri being so annoying. They were so annoying at the end of last year. And, you know, knocked you out of the SEC tournament. And now, yeah, now they're back to the the dumps. Back to being awful. Bart Torvik, who is, you know, in the same analytical realm as Ken Palm. Not quite as mainstream, because you hear Ken Palm on every, like, CBS or every, every televised game now. You know, the announcers are referencing his ratings. Torvik's not quite at that level, but he ranks the rest of the SEC schedules and their strength of schedule. Alabama has had the 10th easiest so far. They have the first toughest the rest of the way. Auburn has had the 14th, so I guess that makes it the easiest schedule so far. They had the third toughest moving forward. South Carolina, ninth to this point, fifth toughest down the stretch. Tennessee has had the fourth toughest schedule in the SEC so far. They have the 11th ranked one down the stretch. So schedule-wise, Tennessee 
by far the easiest schedule of among the kind of four contenders. Alabama the toughest in the SEC. So, like, if you're trying to make up some ground, it does seem like you're kind of set to maybe do that. It's good. I'm. <clears throat> it's funny we don't even mention Kentucky right now. It feels like they're 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 definitely not in the top four conversation for the moment. We'll see what happens as the season wears on. Well, I definitely don't think Kentucky's in the in the conversation to win the SEC. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if they caught South Carolina. It wouldn't surprise me if they caught Auburn to get like the top four. To me, the SEC championship race is just kind of Tennessee and Alabama. As far as I'm concerned, maybe South Carolina just keeps winning and keeps winning and keeps winning. And next thing you know, they're kind of like that that uh, LSU team that you kept waiting to lose in 2000, was it 19? And they just never lost. Right. They just kept finding ways to win and it was annoying. Maybe at South Carolina. But yeah, just looking at Alabama's look ahead, they play at Auburn, at LSU, A&M, Florida, at Kentucky, at Ole Miss, home for Tennessee, at Florida, Arkansas. So you could easily see them slip up and lose two or three of those games. Tennessee, the 11th-ranked SEC schedule moving forward. Hour two in the books. We'll talk some Tennessee football in hour three as well. Look at the rest of the country and the weekend that was in college basketball. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Roger.